and compersion to me felt like this um, epitome of representing a new paradigm because love, the way that mainstream society sees it, is this more possessive thing. This like, I love you as long as you don't trigger those really difficult emotions like jealousy. I love you as long as I feel like I have control over the situation. And compersion says, I love you, period. I love what you love. Um, I don't need you to, you know, be mine, quote unquote, for me to love you and support you and support your choices. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to another episode of Focus Fridays. We're Finn and Emma, and just a quick reminder that our Focus Friday episodes are topic-specific podcasts rather than our story-based interviews. So today, we have an amazing conversation with Marie all about compersion. Yeah, Marie got her PhD in East-West Psychology from the California Institute of Integral Studies, and she did her dissertation on compersion and non-monogamous relationships, and so she is here today to share with us all of her findings, to talk with us about what compersion is, where the word even came from, how do you foster compersion in a relationship, can you have a healthy, successful relationship if there's no compersion, Mm -hmm. and a bunch of other questions and amazing conversations that we have. So we're super excited about this interview, and we learned a ton, and so thank you, Marie, for all the work you do, and all of the links to Marie's work and where you can find more about Marie and her coaching and her dissertation and everything that she's done on our podcast website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com and click on the podcast tab and you'll see show notes there for this episode and all of the other episodes we've ever done ever. (laughs) It's all right there. Before we jump into the interview, we do have a couple of announcements. A reminder to go check out our website, as Finn said, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Not only will you find podcast show notes there, but you will find information on our growing and amazing badass, I should say. I was going to say that in the first place, but... Keep adding adjectives. See how (laughs) many you can string together. (laughs) Our amazing Patreon community, go check it out. We also have information on our upcoming in-person events, uh, both in California and in New Orleans this fall, as well as virtual events. We have virtual meet and greets and virtual trivia coming up. Go check it out. Also, while you're on our website, don't forget to contact us. Send us a voicemail. Send us an email. We would love to hear from you. And with that, let's head over and... Check out this interview with Marie, and we'll see everybody on the other side. Let's go. Welcome, Marie, to the podcast. We're excited to have you here today to talk all about compersion. Uh, So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Emma and Finn. It's so nice to be here. Yeah, we're super excited. Do you mind introducing yourself for anybody who does not know who Marie is? Mm -hmm, Of course. So my name is Marie Toy. I'm originally from Quebec, Canada, but I live in California now. 
I'm a dating and relationship coach, and I graduated last year with my PhD in East-West psychology, um, and I did my research project, my dissertation, on the phenomenon of compersion in consensually non-monogamous relationships. So I've been integrating a lot of what I've learned in my coaching and, and my writing and blogs and all of that, because I think it's so fascinating. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing that work. And that's super exciting. And before we get like too much further into this, for anybody who doesn't know what compersion is, do you mind sort of defining it and talking a little bit about what it is and maybe where the word came from? Of course. I love that. So there's really a couple of different definitions to compersion. Um, Generally speaking, it's the, uh, we could call it the opposite of jealousy, although technically speaking, it's not the same construct. So, but it's empathic joy. It's the idea of feeling really happy with and for somebody who's experiencing something beautiful and pleasant. Um, and when I say there's two definitions, one of them would just be using that word, generally speaking, like, oh, my, my brother got a promotion and I feel so happy for him, or my kid is opening up a birthday present and I can feel their joy. And the second definition is specifically to non-monogamy, the phenomenon of feeling really happy for a partner or for somebody else that you love experiencing joy and sexual or romantic pleasure with somebody else. And the word actually was born in a non-monogamous poly community in San Francisco in the 90s. It was called Curista, and they were experiencing a lot of compersion, and they didn't have a word for it, so they decided to make one up. So they took out an alphabet board, which is a little bit like a Ouija board, where they place their hand over it intuitively and let the guides basically reveal the word. So it doesn't have any kind of, you know, Latin or Greek roots, like some people would hypothesize. It really was a made up word, but it's been adopted and used widely in non-monogamous communities since then. Huh. I had no idea. Yeah. I know. I didn't either. I didn't, I actually didn't, I knew it was a fairly new word, but I didn't realize it was just from the Just totally made up. No root words, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Huh. That's cool. Uh, why, why did you decide to study compersion? What drew you to that? Yeah, well, I have a long um, standing interest in non-traditional relationships. I mean, it really was a lifelong interest because my parents were not technically, you know, like a traditional couple. Like they decided to have me to have a child without getting married, without living together under the same roof. And they were not exactly poly, but they were not abiding by the mainstream rules of monogamy and the dyadic nuclear family model. So when I started going to college and getting into relationships myself, I realized how this normative paradigm of relationships was really, really strong and widespread. And I had to really find my way to have intentional relationships. And I never felt like monogamy or at least mononormativity the assumption of monogamy as the default was fitting for me so i was interested in knowing well who is it in the world that does not just fall into this default oh okay there is such thing as consensual non-monogamy i want to learn about it i want to participate in it and i want to 
um, do research about it. And compersion to me felt like this um, epitome of representing a new paradigm because love, the way that mainstream society sees it, is this more possessive thing, this like, I love you as long as you don't trigger those really difficult emotions like jealousy. I love you as long as I feel like I have control over the situation. And compersion says, I love you, period. I love what you love. Um, I don't need you to, you know, be mine, quote unquote, for me to love you and support you and support your choices. So it's a very deeply philosophically meaningful concept for me. And I think it applies so wonderfully in the relationship realm, in the romantic relationship realm, but also in so many other places in our life where we have love and we can wonder like, what does love mean? <laughs> and compersion is so, so core to my values around love. Yeah. 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 I love that. And I think one thing that we, we talked a little bit about wanting to maybe just like touch on before we dig into all things compersion is for anybody listening, who's like, um, well, we're not monogamous, but I don't really feel the things that you just expressed to me. I must be doing it wrong. Or even if I am monogamous, like I must be doing my monogamy wrong because like, I don't feel this. Do you think, and what you've researched, do you feel that having heaps of compersion gushing out of you is a requirement for healthy functioning successful relationships be, be them monogamous or or non mm, that's a great question and that's usually an objection that comes up when i talk about compersion so the answer is absolutely not it's not necessary to have gushing amazing compersion in your relationships for them to be healthy now what I found in my research that's super interesting is that there's two kinds of compersion, or at least two polarities. There's the compersive attitude, so to speak, or feeling like you are supportive of your partner's choices, even if you don't necessarily have a gushing, embodied experience of joy with them. And then there is the more embodied, gushing, like um, almost intoxicating experience of compersion that some people report having. So it's really not necessary to have this embodied gushing experience, but I would say that if you have a non-monogamous relationship, you at least want to have a supportive attitude towards your partner's other loves. Because if you are all the way on the other end of the spectrum of just not feeling supportive and not being able to imagine how you could share their happiness at all, even cognitively, that might be more of a problem. And, you know, you want to get at least to that neutral benevolence state of having a compersive attitude. I would say that would be the first um, goal. You know, I would not advise anyone to try to go from zero to 100 and make that gushing compersion their goal because that does not necessarily, it's not necessarily something you can control. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I can see how important it is to get to that neutral state because if you don't get there, it could foster a lot of resentment in a relationship, mm -hmm. I would think. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's just, and I think too, to, to say like, it's not just non-monogamous specific, right? Like this could be anything. If you're in a relationship with somebody 
and they love to go play tennis for three hours on Saturday and they come home and they're super excited. And you're like, well, thanks for leaving me. You know, thanks for abandoning me today rather than being like, hey, I'm so glad you're home. Look how happy you are. Let's take that energy and enjoy the rest of our Saturday together because you went and did something that fulfilled you, even if it's not a thing that I necessarily enjoy myself. But mm-hmm. Sometimes it's it's enough just to have them come home and you're like, hey, I'm glad you're home. Like, and and not not gush, but yeah, I, I hear that. I hear that. And we had a we had an interview a couple of maybe about a month or two ago with Rachel, and she talked a bit about this, like. Yeah, like for me, sometimes like, hey, you know, I'm I'm at a place of indifference and that's okay. Like I'm I'm not unhappy and I'm not gushing. So like I'm okay with that for now. And I just we thought that was important to get out there before we talk about this so people aren't beating themselves up for the next however many minutes we talk about it. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. One yeah. of my last blogs on my um compression website is called use compersion as a flashlight, not as a stick. Because if you use compersion as a stick to beat yourself with, as like, oh, I'm not poly enough, I must not be doing this right, then this whole concept becomes almost toxic, you know? And if you use it as a flashlight of like, oh, where is it that maybe my ability to feel happy for you might be blocked? And does that mean some of my needs are not fulfilled or some communication is not happening or wherever the, um, your ability to feel happy for your partner doing something is not, um, you know, is not flowing, then it can be illuminating. So use it as a flashlight, not a stick. Yeah. I love that analogy. Yeah. And we'll include a link to that blog post in the show notes too. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. sure. During your, well, I'm sure we'll dig into a bunch of your research, but did you have any main like takeaways that you wanted to share? Mm-hmm. So really my main takeaway was the factors that either hinder or promote compersion. So there's basically three categories of factors. There's individual, relational, and social. And within those categories, there's six factors. So do you want me to go into them right now? Sure. Sure. <laughs> so that's really the main takeaway. It's a bit of a roadmap. And that is helpful because if you look at those different factors, I actually created a worksheet to help my clients with them. You know, people who want to experience more compersion, they can see, oh, okay, I'm doing really well in these categories. But, you know, let's say in like that category, there is something missing. And this is where we can focus our efforts, which might result in a better context for compersion to arise. So here they are. In the individual category, there is the mindset. It's an ideological commitment to CNM, consensual non-monogamy values. And that is really being on board mentally with your relationship style. We know how some people might have been dragged into polyamory or non-monogamy by their partner and they're not psychologically totally on board. So if you're not on board, it's going to be a lot harder to feel compersion. So look at, you know, are you really happy to be in that relationship style? Are you able to also like look at jealousy in the framework of not, this is a sign that something is really wrong with my relationship, but more as a tool for investigating, okay, what do I need to 
feel more complete, to feel like my plate is full. So mindset is number one. And then another factor within that individual category is um, security and safety within oneself. That has to do with self-esteem, with feeling like you have a secure attachment within yourself. And I'm sure a lot of listeners have read uh, Polysecure by Jessica Fern. She talks about that at length. And self-care. Like if you have eaten well, if you've had a good night of sleep, if you've, you know, had a good day at work, you'll be more likely to feel compersion for your partner going on a date than if you don't feel very fulfilled in your own life individually. On that one, I was just curious, like, I wanted to maybe point out the, like, that last example you give, like, you could overall be a very confident, self-assured person. But like you said, maybe you have a really bad day or somebody says something really negative to you and it like cuts you right where you don't want to be cut. And so like you might show up and your partner's like, man, my, I've got the most compersive partner. They love everything I do. It's so amazing. And then one day you're like blowing up at them and you're pissed off and you're frustrated and like, whoa, 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 where did all this come from? And you're like, yeah, it could just be like a bad day or a mm-hmm. bad experience. So like it may be just that it doesn't, one experience doesn't inform your ability to be concursive, right. like on a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Compersion is really dynamic. I mean, it's like other human emotions and experiences, right? Like it's not always the same way. It's not like an on or off switch. It can right. change. And we can't always expect it to feel the same way. And we can only, you know, put the chances on our side to feel as much of it as possible and have a great mindset about it. But yeah, I love what you said. Like it is not going to be the same all the time. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Number three. So number three is within now the relational bucket. So number three is the security and the trust that you have within your relationship. Let's, not necessarily a primary relationship, but the person that you might or might not feel compersion towards. So if your relationship is on the rocks, it will be a lot harder to feel good about them, you know, investing their time and resources and energy into somebody else, obviously. So transparency and consent, really important, not having any secrets and feeling like we're included in each other's experience to a degree that really suits us. Not everyone wants all the details and all of the explanations, but to be able to say like, hey, this is the amount and the quality of communication that really works for me and having that as an agreement is really important. And also having reassurance that I'm still really special, I'm really important to have whatever reassurance really works for the partners. Mm-hmm. Next, there's communication and connection with metamors. So if you like your metamor, if you trust them, if you don't feel um, particularly threatened by their presence, you're a lot more likely to have compersion towards them and towards your partner. It becomes a positive relational feedback loop. And just to be clear, so in case anyone doesn't know, a metamor is your partner's partner. Yeah, thank you so much for clarifying. Mm-hmm. We have all these made up words. It's like we, we speak, a, <laughs> speak a foreign language in here. <laughs> but that one makes that one makes perfect sense as well, right? Like yeah. if 
again, back to like, even if it's not a relationship, if your partner's out doing something that you feel is like super dangerous, mm-hmm. like it's hard to be like, yeah, I'm super excited that you're tightrope walking across the Grand Canyon with no safety <laughs> line. Like, that's amazing that that's your ho- hobby, right? Like, yeah, I think when it's, when you're feeling that it's hard to be like, ah, yeah, I'm excited for you, but also like a bit worried, a bit nervous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think we're all so interconnected that, you know, when your partner is really involved intimately with someone, you're going to feel that energy coming towards you too. You're going to feel like, wow, is that positive? Is this a net positive for me and them and our relationship? Or is this somewhat of a threat? Like, is this kind of negative energy? Is this some energy that I don't trust? So it's really important to feel like you can also love the metamorph. I mean, I'm using love pretty broadly, you know, but Mm -hmm. to have a positive regard, at least, or a positive connection with them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Number five, I think. Yes, nice keeping track. Number five is the perception of benefits that this other relationship is bringing towards you, towards your partner, and towards your relationship. So that's a big one because it really creates a lot of gratitude when you are feeling like, oh, I'm really benefiting from, from my partner being with this other person. And that can take so many um, forms like, oh, I'm benefiting because I feel more free to have my own partners and I get to explore my own sexuality and my own emotional world in different ways. Yay. Or I'm benefiting because, wow, this relationship is really making my partner much better and it's helping them grow and they're coming home elated and more present and more you know more developed or you know like they're they're developing a part of them that maybe they did not develop with me and I get to benefit from that yay Mm -hmm. um maybe it's um, it's relieving me from feeling the pressure of having to fulfill all of their needs. Mm-hmm. I don't have to go camping with them. Yay. Somebody else's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. If there's things you don't want to do, your partner can do those things with somebody else. <laughs> yes. Oh, honey, you want to go dancing? Great. I'm going to stay home. Go do it with George. <laughs> <laughs> so that's another very tangible way that you know, that compersion can be, can be enhanced. Yeah. And number six, number six is the, um, social category and that's coming into community. And that is having a community of role models and peers and media that are supportive of non-monogamy as an identity, as a lifestyle, as a choice because we do live in a very mononormative society, which mononormativity, it means like the assumption that monogamy is the best and the most natural, the most morally superior way of conducting romantic relationships. And we have to be really strong in not feeling like there's something wrong with us. And that strength often comes, you know, with community, with, you know, podcasts like you guys are doing and books and poly potlucks and different ways that people can look at other people outside of their little family relationship unit and say, oh yeah, I'm not crazy. 
this is great. Other people uh, love me for who I am and I'm validated. So that really creates more, um, more of a fertile ground for compersion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That one seems very linked to shame. Like mm-hmm. if you're ashamed of what you're doing, then you're going to probably perceive everybody's view of you as like negative and therefore like much harder to be happy for somebody that is doing something a little counter counterculture counter Mm -hmm. to the way everybody else is running their lives. Mm -hmm. I can Mm -hmm. see that for sure. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So we covered all six. Mm -hmm. How let's say we're struggling with this. Well, are there some ways that like, now that we know the factors, there are some, are there some like techniques you've seen people employ to be able to like foster and grow the level of compersion that they have in their relationships. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it will look different for every person. And again, like to first have the clarity, like to use the flashlight again, so to mm-hmm. speak, to look at what are those um, factors where things are going great and what are those where things are have a lot of room for improvement. Like I've met um, couples who have opened their primary monogamous relationship and have tried to integrate other people, but they still don't have much of a poly community around them. And I can tell right away, like, okay, their communication is great. Their relationship with metamors is great. Individually, they're doing good, but there's so much room for improvement in the social community aspect. Maybe then go work on that, find a poly group, find books, find podcasts, you know, that can help in that way. Maybe, you know, um, they don't have perfect communication and that's what they can work on. They can establish like a weekly state of the union meeting where they bring their difficult conversations. I think that's a really good way to do it, especially at the beginning when you're establishing relationship agreements. That's one thing that I think is super important is to have a lot of clarity around relationship agreements and to stick to them until you want to change them until you're comfortable enough and you want to maybe move them around but that can be a really sticky point for some people so yeah it really depends like how do you cultivate more compersion is how do you create a better context for it yeah 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 totally get that appreciate it I think it gives some hope with what you were saying of that, you know, that you, there are ways to foster, foster compersion and work on compersion because, and after you listed out those six factors, like it makes a lot of sense. You can pick one or multiple of those to kind of work on at a time and, and, and try to, you know, hopefully get to a place where they're all feeling good and you're, you, you do have that compersion, but it, it, to me, it gives hope because it sometimes, as we were talking about earlier in a little while ago in the this interview, it can feel so hopeless. Like, I just don't feel compersive and I want to. And why? Why don't I feel that way? Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you like s- spelling that all out because I think it helps give some more like tangible advice to people. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And maybe in that same sort of vein, like or have you come across examples or maybe stories of people where like, you know, you look at all the, all six of these factors and you're like, no way in hell is there going to be compersion in this relationship. <laughs> and they're just like, we just, we love it. It's amazing. And you're like, okay, like, I don't understand. Like all of my data says this and you guys are just these huge outliers. You know, that's a great question. 
Not really. I mean, honestly, like, I mean, I haven't interviewed people for whom polyamory hasn't worked. And by the way, I'm using polyamory and consensual non-monogamy in kind of interchangeable ways (laughs) um, for ease. And it's been very consistent. It's been very consistent where people who do experience compersion pretty much have all of these six factors in place. I mean, it might not have always been the case, but they've come to the point where they did. For example, like a very unlikely couple to experience compersion were able to create the conditions for it where they have started their poly journey from an affair, from a woman cheating on her husband after 30 years of marriage because she wanted more experience and she didn't think she could do this ethically in an open way. So... Of course, that's a very big betrayal of trust, and recovering from an affair is a very difficult thing to do. Um, But they did the work, and they started reading books, and they got some counseling, and they had really great communication, and they basically built out some of those factors and replaced the secrecy of not being honest with being completely transparent and having great conversations about this and they created a context for compersion and now they're both dating and they're both feeling compersion for the other so it doesn't always start like that but when people are able to create those contexts then it can be pretty miraculous mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I, I was curious like too with the Sort of the difference, right? I know there's there's sort of two ends of the non-monogamy spectrum, roughly speaking, right? You've got on one end, you're swinging, you know, I'm doing air quotes, but more of like a casual, like, hey, casual maybe, sex. maybe we're a couple and we hook up with other couples once a month or even a couple of times a month, but like, we don't get involved. We don't care what their kids are doing. We just like, it's, it's more casual or maybe it's even friends with benefits versus like, hey, we have these long-standing, deep, loving, multiple partner dynamics. Do you, and you maybe don't have this information. I'm just curious, mm-hmm. like somebody who started in one and ended in the other, and maybe they were like super compersive in one, one sort of paradigm. And then they get to the other one and they're like, nope, can't, can't do it over here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. Yeah, actually, both of those things are interesting. I have a client who is mostly in the swinging lifestyle world and came to me first because at some point his wife was creating a more emotionally close relationship with one of the men that they were swinging with. And the fact that there was a stronger emotional bond really triggered jealousy that had never been there before. So we really looked at turning towards that experience rather than turning away. So looking at what he felt like he was missing inside of himself to to feel confident that he could still be really connected to his wife really made a big difference and allowed him to go towards compersion from a place of jealousy in that newfound emotional connection. And then the other way around also happens sometimes where people who are poly and have really deep emotional bonds and feel compersion for their partners falling in love with someone, 
will tell me, well, if it's just sex, I don't care. I don't feel compersion. If you're just going to have a hookup with somebody else, it's like, I don't, I don't feel anything because I have compersion at the emotional level more than the sexual level. Hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 It makes sense how both can happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And two, to like, maybe just uh, keep reminding ourselves that like these, this compersion is not, it's not an essential foundational building block for relationships, for relationships. Like you, you can, navigate these in a way where you're like you are indifferent you don't have to be i know i'm just because we're we we get talking about it and you start like for me my mind starts to go to like man if that's not true and that's not true and that's not true then like what am i doing i shouldn't be doing this but you can still do this successfully and functionally Mm -hmm. right i mean i think those factors that i talked about those six factors can still be helpful just as a roadmap for relationship satisfaction in a non-monogamous setting i think that actually would be more important as like a research finding for me than really what creates compersion because Mm -hmm. if all of these factors are in place and you know you have good communication with your partner you're you know you're having a good rapport with your metamors you're well surrounded, your mindset is good, you are secure within yourself, etc. Then, in a way, like who cares if you're feeling compersion or not? Like you have a good relationship, right? Yeah. I mean, it's great. Compersion can be like the cherry on top. It's really wonderful, but it doesn't feel like the end goal to me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Thank you for for clarifying that. And I was just sitting here thinking, curious if you have talked to anyone. Uh, or come across any stories where somebody was feeling had a lot of compressive feelings, and then something happened in that relationship that rocked it, that was uh, made them insecure, and kind of made those feelings go away, and then try to figure out how to bring them back. Have you experienced that, or talked to anyone mm. that has had that happen? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I was just reading a story about that yesterday. Um, it was about a couple who had been open for a long time and there was a lot of compersion, very little jealousy. And when the woman got pregnant, she started feeling insecure about her body because she had always been like super athletic, big six pack, et cetera, et cetera. And when um, she was pregnant, all of a sudden her husband having another relationship became really threatening. And she was confused about that and she didn't want to feel that way, but she had ultimately to ask if he could pause seeing other people because she felt so threatened. So I think there's oftentimes like stage of life um, circumstances that can make it a lot harder to feel compersive. It just make us feel, you know, let's say your father, or your mom dies or you're experiencing a crisis at work. All of this, it doesn't automatically mean that you can't experience compersion, but it can shift the equilibrium of how safe Mm -hmm. you feel. Yeah. Well, and and thinking back on the six sort of factors, do you, did you sort of find that, that all six sort of hold equal weight or like, Hey, if you, if you've got like two of them and you're feeling like super confident in who you are and you know, you've got a really good network around you, like you maybe don't need the other four and you can still like tip over into feeling that compersion. 
Mm, that's such a good question. That I have not um, researched formally. Okay. I think it would be a super fun research project to try to quantify like what weight can we put on each one of those factors and do we need all six? Um, I met one couple who did not have the social community factor and they were still experiencing conversion. Like they didn't really feel a big lack in that way. But honestly, everybody else that I met besides that one couple had all six in place. So in my perspective, they're all quite important. Like I can't really imagine either of them being optional. Like I did um, this whole research project and, you know, 95% of the people that I interviewed had all six. So yeah, I would not, I would not underestimate any of them. Yeah. That's good to know. And, and that's also like just to point out, and maybe this is extremely obvious, but both people in the couple don't have to be, feel like if one of them is the other one might not be right. And you could both have all six factors. Like just, just having those six factors doesn't all of a sudden mean like you have the compersion now, like you've unlocked it. Like Mm -hmm. it just gives you a greater chance that you might, that you might be feeling that way. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, everything is on a spectrum. I mean, you might feel like, yeah, I'm, I have really good self-esteem, but again, like you said earlier, maybe somebody you know, like made a very mean comment today. And even though you have good self-esteem in general, there's always a fluctuation. It's never like human beings are always interconnected in relationship to one another, fluid. So any experience like that is constantly going to change. So I would I would really emphasize like conversion is fluid, it's dynamic and it's on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you see any correlation at all with the with people who um, felt a lot of compersion and age? Oh, cool, 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 cool. I love that question so much. I did have a lot of older folks in my sample. I had people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. And it, I, I can't, you know, say like, oh, there is a correlation that is mathematically um, validated here, but a lot of people who had been poly for decades, they felt like they had a very strong foundation. And oftentimes also like the longer you're poly, the more community you've built around you. So the factor of community gets taken care of just by virtue of having a lot of friends and lovers from over the years and having cultivated those relationships. So I do think that the older, but I mean, I also had some, you know, 28, 29 year olds who had a lot of compersion. So I don't think it's that linear, but I would say the longer you cultivate those relationships, the also like the self relationship. I had one woman in her sixties, she actually said like, she felt so much more secure within herself as a 60 year old woman that she, then she would have felt, you know, as a 20 year old. So that also enabled her to have a lot more compersion because she felt this sense of inner security and inner bliss. Right. Right. Yeah. At a certain age, you just stop giving a fuck and you're like, you know what? (laughs) 
I'm just going to be happy, you know. I'm going to be happy for you and happy for me and happy for everybody. And yeah. I think there's a, there's definitely something to that. Yeah, that might be another theory, you know, like <laughs> the fucks you give being invertly related to conversion, you feel? There you go. Exactly. Like, I don't care what you do. Just, just be happy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> S- similar to age, did you see any correlation between like gender? Mm-hmm. or or even sexuality like um on that spectrum like having any correlation mm-hmm. you know a lot of my sample was non-straight or even like a lot of people like 75 percent of the people i interviewed were bi or pansexual okay. and that seemed to have an effect actually i had some participants tell me that because they were at least open sexually to the gender you know, to all the genders, it allowed them to create more of this love connection to their metamors. Even if they were not sexually involved with their metamors, there was a sense of feeling closer by virtue of not being so heteronormative. Mm-hmm. Like there was one man, uh, especially who he was bisexual and he had group sex with his wife and other couples and other people that they were dating. And he said that it really allowed him to feel included rather than excluded mm-hmm. because the more you know normative western paradigm of sexuality with men being like harshly heterosexual and not wanting to even touch other men and feeling that si- sense of separation could be a big block to to feeling compersion to feeling like oh yeah i'm so happy that you're also fucking my wife (laughs) but when i can also feel this sense of like oh yeah like we can hug we can maybe even have sex like there isn't such a harsh sense of like this is my property this is my territory this is my like ego Uh, i mean i think it can be like stereotypically applied to men because there is such a, a sense of like yeah this is my lawn this is my woman but i think women also have the same thing like no this is my man you can't touch him but when when sexuality gets expanded there's less rigidity there so more room for for compersion mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah it does <laughs> yeah do you have any other questions well i wanted to make sure if there's something that we're missing talking about that was like just a, a big takeaway or a big revelation or something just in general that you wanted to maybe tie into this conversation that we gave you the the floor to do that before we Mm. let you go Mm. you know something we haven't mentioned explicitly i think that's super important is that in the spirit of compersion not being an on or off switch it also is completely natural to feel compersion and jealousy at the same exact time I think That's a really a lot, good point. Yeah, like a lot of people beat themselves up if they feel jealousy and they think, oh, I'm not feeling enough compersion. But, but no, those two things are not mutually exclusive. You might feel like a, a feeling of jealousy in your gut, but really you want to be attitudinally compersive or you feel happy in your heart, you feel compersion. And at the same time, like, yeah, like I, should I feel compersion? I feel like a sense that I should be jealous or, you know, different different parts of us might be saying different things and that's yeah. okay that's normal yeah just yeah. because you feel jealousy 
doesn't mean you could also feel compersion and vice versa. Like it's okay to, yeah. Thank you for, for adding that because it's a really important point. Um, Cause I think so often is jealousy can be painted with such a negative light and it's really, I mean, jealousy is just an emotion. It's mm-hmm. natural and it's how, what you do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, that is really how you handle the emotion around that. But feeling jealousy itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. It'd be hard, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So with, with regards to the attitude, the attitudinal compersion, is it possible, just curious, do you feel it's possible to fake it until you make it? Like, maybe you don't, I don't know, maybe you don't have all six factors or maybe you're just like, I'm I'm damn determined to be happy for my partner. So I'm just going to keep telling him I'm happy. I'm going to smile. I'm going <laughs> to laugh. I'm just going to like fucking power through and I'm going to be happy. Like, have you, uh, just out of curiosity, do you think that's a, a valid approach that might, might work? Mm. I would not recommend faking happiness. (laughs) (laughs) Fine, fine. (laughs) But to take a stance, you know, to say like, you know, this mm, is not making me happy, but I do really want you to be happy. And that's more important than my, you know, visceral reaction that says something wrong is happening because I do believe in sexual autonomy. I do believe that you should be able to be with people that you want to be. And that stance, that decision and that commitment can be more, um, can take more weight in your psychic (laughs) sphere. Right. Right. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> no, and, but, you know, you bring up a really good point of like somebody who's like, my belief systems are you should have autonomy. Maybe they're like, I'm a relationship anarchist and I don't think we should have any hierarchy. And I like, these are my core beliefs. Mm-hmm. And then you get out there and you're like, oh boy, this doesn't feel good. Like what, like now, like the things that I firmly believe mm-hmm also make me feel like shit all the time because mm-hmm. I'm in these relationships that don't feel good because I can't get to that conversion. But yet like it's so ingrained in who I am and my belief system. Like that's a, I, I don't have a question with that. I just want to like, <laughs> acknowledge like that's a really like tough, tough yeah. place to be. But I think maybe you giving us like sort of the six factors is like a good framework of like, what can I go back and look at and work on? to maybe shift that for myself. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Exactly. Um, I think it's so common and it's so natural to say like, well, okay, I have this plan. I have this theory. I'm going to be polyamorous. It's going to be great. It works in my value system. And then, of course, when the rubber meets the road, there's going to be things coming up that you could not have expected. And then you have to either say, well, it's too much, it's not actually really worth it, or let me go in and deal with those things because dealing with those things also has value in itself. It's going to make my life better. It's going to make me a stronger person. It's going to make me more aligned with my value, um, my value system. Um, so, so yeah, like it's nice to have a framework to say like, okay, like what is it? What is it that's making me so uncomfortable? Is it the way I think about it? Is it my nervous system? Is it the way I'm taking care of myself? Is it 
my metamor. You know, there are factors sometimes that can be just impossible to really control. And we, we don't have access to full compersion. Like, let's say your partner falls in love with someone who you just don't like. They trigger the shit out of you. And yet you don't want to tell them, well, you can't date this person. Maybe you won't ever be able to feel ecstatic. And that is okay. As long as you can get again to that neutral benevolence where you're comfortable with them being with this person. You don't feel like negatively affected every time they're together and you can have that attitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that too. Do you have any other questions? I don't. Do you have any questions for us? Maybe. I don't know if that's uh, if there's anything that you've thought of like for us in this conversation that you wanted to ask on uh, of us, but if not, we can, well, I want to let I want to ask you where people can find your work. Too. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I do. I do feel curious about your guys' experiences, you know, with compersion. If you have any stories you'd like to share, because you've been talking about it and living and breathing it for so long, and I will tell you at the end how I can. How you yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you want to go first? Or you want me to go for it? <laughs> I would be happy for you to go first. <laughs> You would have compersion for her to go first. Correct. <laughs> I, I think this is this is something that I've definitely struggled a lot with over the years of wanting nothing more than to feel compersion. And sometimes I just don't. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. trying to give myself grace in that and figure out why mm-hmm. and how to how I can foster compersion um, or at least get to that neutral space. And haven't always done a great job at it, but I'm like always trying and learning and growing. And I feel like over, um, especially the last couple of years, I've made a lot of progress and kind of changing the framework of how I, how I think about some of, um, some of the things I've struggled with in the past. And so I feel like I've had a lot more compersion the last few years than I did previously, which is really, it's a great feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't mean that I still don't feel jealous because I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to your point about feeling jealous and conversion at the same time, yeah, totally all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I can really relate to that. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's a helpful reminder to me that that's okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, that's really cool though. And encouraging to know that, you know, you've worked on it over the years and it has, um, it has paid off. Yeah. I, Definitely, it's, I'm still working on it too. Mm-hmm. To be honest, like there's there's some things that are just that that I don't always um, navigate the best as far as like maybe I just don't feel compersive around some things something. But mm-hmm. uh, it has gotten for me. It's gotten easier, and I've learned tools that kind of work best for me uh, in reframing things, rethinking about things, and sometimes it just takes some time. For mm-hmm. that's for me, what I've realized is that sometimes I just need some time to like think through things and and sit on them for myself before I can get to that place. Mm. Um, would you agree with that? For you, yeah, I would agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate, and I think maybe historically I've had a little easier time uh, getting there. Um, I think, yeah, seeing her 
happy in most things um, brings me a lot of joy. And it's been sort of one of one of the pillars of like what drove us to non-monogamy to begin with is like, I want you to go find things that make you happy. And those things don't necessarily have to align with the things that make me happy. Mm-hmm. Historically, a lot of the things that we do together or separate, we share a lot of interests. And so there's sometimes this disconnect when like, I'm like, yeah, I'm super happy for you. You're doing a thing that makes you happy. And I totally get it because that thing also makes me happy. I think sometimes there's a disconnect when I'm like seeing Emma do something that like, I just don't get, like, I don't get it. I don't get what makes you happy about this, but Hey, if you're happy, like that's where I maybe land more on the like indifference, like Mm -hmm. in, and I think that's maybe the challenge for me is to shift into compersion, even if it's not a thing I understand or get, but if it brings her happiness, then like, that's the piece that matters, not would it bring me happiness or am I happy about it? But is she, and if she is then like to be happy for her purely because she's happy, not really with relevance to why. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Like make her joy, your joy. Right. Regardless of the source, regardless of the, the drivers for it. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like you have a common bucket, and then if there's good stuff being poured into it, then it's yours too. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I yeah, it's almost like the little black box. Like I don't need to know what's in there. <laughs> All I need to know is that what's coming out is her being happy, and if mm-hmm. then I'm I'm good to go. But mm-hmm. it's not always that easy for me. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you so much for sharing. That's so yeah. cool and beautiful to witness you. Um, on that journey. Yeah. I think that's another important thing to point out too. It is a journey and it can go like, you know, as we were talking about earlier too, it can go up and down and Mm. that's okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And I think we can all apply that idea of a journey to developing more compersion in all of our lives. Like Mm -hmm. there's usually people that we do feel jealous of or envious of, you know, not necessarily in a sexual way, but just, Hey, I'm really jealous of this girl I work with because she seems so successful and she's so pretty and she gets all this attention, et cetera, et cetera. And to take those situations where we have this, you know, block to love, really, fundamentally, that's what it is, and look at, okay, what can I do to turn towards it and to feel like I can benefit from those beautiful things that they're getting too? And how can I, yeah, how can I make myself included in this rather than feeling apart from it and excluded from it? Can I, mm-hmm. can I make better friends with them or can I go try to get the thing that I want that they're getting? Is there something I can do to have more of that too? Like, how can right. I be in a place where I have a full plate? Yes, I agree. Uh, think. Yeah, thank you so much for this conversation and for all the research and work that you do as well. Uh, where can people find more? Unless you have more to share, I want to like if there's anything else as well. No, well, I feel pretty complete, and I would love to talk to any of the listeners who are interested in chatting and maybe do some coaching. My website is whatiscompersion.com. 
it's really easy to remember. Um, and there you can find a link to my dissertation research and read more. And there's the blog there that we mentioned earlier. There's a list of resources as well, like books on polyamory and compersion that people might find really helpful. And um, yeah, what is compersion.com? Please come awesome. and visit and say hi. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you again. We'll put links in the show notes. And I think that's it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing everything with us today, Marie. It was wonderful to meet you and have this conversation. So thank you again and have a fantastic day. Mm, thank you, Emma and Finn. And we're back. A huge thank you to Marie for coming on and sharing everything that you did and for the amazing research and work that you do and put out there into the world. We really appreciate it and loved having this conversation with you. And we learned a ton and hope all of you listeners did as well. Yeah, thank you, Marie, for doing the work you do for coming on, for reaching out, for coming on. Did you just parrot everything I said? Not everything. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Not everything, just just most things. (laughs) If you hadn't stolen all the words that I wanted to say, I would have a different thing to say here. Okay, I see. Anyway. Anyway, thank you, Marie. Uh, We just want to remind everybody, again, head over to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. There you'll find show notes to this episode as well as every other episode we've ever done that include photos of our guests and links to all of the resources that we mentioned, as well as uh, links to our upcoming virtual and in-person events and more information about our Patreon community. You can reach out to us, send us a voicemail, send us an email. There's just so much to do over there. You could spend all day there and never get bored. I highly recommend doing yeah, that. Yeah, you could go through all of the podcast show you, notes. You could do it all. There's See literally pictures of our guests. Play Wordle. It doesn't matter. <laughs> On our website? <laughs> sure. Why not? We'll, we'll just say you can do that too. All right. Uh, next week. We have an interview with John. So come back next Wednesday and listen. It's going to be great. We'll it see. is great. We will see. We will see everybody then. <laughs> we need to wrap it up because we went off the rails. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.